Good to great. How to spot the difference in an investment property. So the difference between a good property and a good portfolio in comparison to a great one can actually be millions of dollars over time. Now, the crazy thing is the effort to go from good to great isn't as actually much as you think. And so in this particular episode, we will go through that in more detail. But really, if you take a step back and realize something about us is I spend a lot of time talking about data. And that's for good reason, because data is an area where you can make the biggest difference when it comes to actual location selection and our points of difference when selecting locations and being able to time them well with the trends they analyze. However, using data to invest in property, whilst it can make millions, I guess, to invest correctly, is it really everything that's there? What will the property part do next? The actual property is the next factor after you've locked in the location. So what's the difference between a good property and a great property is what we're going to dive into. And in this particular episode, I'll break down the core differences between the two so you can actually be better equipped on a good property or a great property and the differences are. And you'll actually be able to know certain due diligence parameters, certain tools that we use to spot the opportunity that I guess changes your portfolio completely, especially if you ever have to exit the deal and look at resale values, or even if you're thinking of, you know, renting out the property and how that can make an impact. More importantly though, is when you're buying a property, you can avoid overpaying through understanding the good versus great parameters. Before I jump into this particular episode though, if you find things around the property part just as useful, because as you know, I do love the data and I go deep into it, but I found ways to apply the data to elements of property searching. And this is what's helped me create a due diligence checklist. But if you do like specific videos like this, where it's onto the property itself, just let me know in the comments, drop me a note, hit like on our YouTube page, and of course, subscribe so you can see more videos like this. So again, I'm Arjun Paliwal. I'm the head of research at Investigate Buyers Agency for those who don't know me. And I'm here to help you scale your portfolio by making the right data-driven decisions, both from a location area and now to the property area. So what we should first go through is what's one example of the due diligence that you can get wrong on a property and how you can go from good to great. Or if you've made this decision, unfortunately, you were the ones that went in the opposite direction it was probably from great back down to good. So what you want to look at firstly is floor plans. Now, I'm not telling you to look at floor plans completely from an owner-occupier perspective in all its glory and perfection, thinking perfect bedroom sizes or perfect you know, layout of the house. I'm going even deeper in terms of things that are weird anomalies, things that actually make you make the mistake of overpaying thinking a property has certain functions, functions and features when it really actually doesn't. And so this is a mistake many people make. And there's two clear examples. One, I'll give you the actual address on so you can see it. But the other one is the actual use of floor plans when you're considering things like uh, areas and bedrooms. So a perfect example is if you go to Brisbane, quite commonly you'll see bedrooms listed all over the place, upstairs, middle floors, or in your lucky cases for people with mansions, there'll be triple floors or ground floors. You see bedrooms all over the place. But if you're looking at bedrooms downstairs in Brisbane like that, many people forget certain things that you need to have to classify it to be a bedroom, whether it be ceiling heights or whether it be certain space. Uh, many factors come into play, especially for some of those older properties. Uh, but the main thing here is that we just want you to avoid confusion and avoid overpaying. And you'll easily be able to see that 
when you actually start looking at floor plans closely. Uh, this example that I'll give you today is actually an Adelaide-based example. And, and this particular example is in a suburb called Aldinger Beach. The address is number nine, Polden Street, P-O-L-D-E-N Street. Now, I hope it's not someone that I know <laughs> or someone in this, like listen to the show that's purchased this or is their property. But if it is, um, I apologize in advance for going through this floor plan, but I felt it would be a great example to just showcase what you should and shouldn't be doing, or you should at least consider, not that it should not be doing, just consider. That's the key thing, right? So what you can see in this floor plan here, and we'll bring this up on the screen, but for those who aren't on the screen and you're tuning in, jump on the YouTube episode. It's a, it's a, it's a great way for you to watch more videos and get the deals and the data and the insights down to a deep level. And uh, if you just can't make it though, 9 Polden Street, Oldinger Beach is the address. And in particular, I want to look at the floor plan. So firstly, what you'll notice on the floor plan here is that you've got upstairs bedroom one, two, and three up top. That is fine to me. But then you've got a study in bed four. Now, you could have used up top as a fifth bed in that study and maybe have shut that door between bed four and the study. That could have actually turned into a fifth bed and put in a wall that's a little bit longer from the lounge. But right now, what you can see is that you can see that the study just goes straight through bed four. Now, some people might like that as an X factor, uh, but you could actually create five beds upstairs plus a lounge, which would have been perhaps even more impactful. Um, now, that could be a bonus, or someone may look at the floor plan and the agent may factor into the price. But if you go downstairs, this is where it really gets funky. If you go downstairs, you've got your dining, living, lounge, but check out the floor plans, bed five, bed six and bid seven. Now, why this is getting funky here is imagine you're one of the rookies who goes and pays the price and thinks that you're buying a seven bedroom mansion with an extra study and a lounge and a dining downstairs and bathrooms and robes and cupboards all over the place. Three bathrooms, one downstairs by bid five, one upstairs and an ensuite. Pretty killer, right? You'd be thinking, I got this for a steal. I should be getting epic rents because I've got seven bedrooms. But take a look at downstairs. Number one, is to get to bedroom five, you've got two ways, maybe three, that you could get there. Number one is you go through the storage room from your dining, open your bathroom door, and then jump in surprise, I'm in my bedroom from my bathroom. Number two is you walk through the laundry, through bedroom six, then there's a hole in the wall between bedroom six and bedroom five, and suddenly you've magically appeared in bedroom five. Or number three, I'm just gonna make this up because the floor plan's so funky anyway, you go into the laundry, you realize there's only the door to bed six, so you punch a hole through the walk-in wardrobe, and then you look and you're in bedroom five or suddenly. So the agent's actually a dear friend of mine, Todd Sloan from Good Old Pizza and Properties out here making magnificent seven-bedroom floor plans. Um, I wonder how cool that chat would have been, Todd going, hmm, looks like seven beds to me. Like, let me check that on the floor plan for you. But hey, if some buyer came across and said, I love the seven bed place, then technically Todd did the most amazing job ever and got the, got the value up on that one. But right now you can just clearly see the bedrooms aren't really what they are meant to be. And this is the key thing because comparable analysis is the core difference maker in going from good to great. If you floor plan this out like a seven bidder and you did comps like a seven bidder, you could be adding 100 or 200K to the price in your analysis. And all it takes is the agent to not have a listing price or have a crazy one, and you suddenly either overpay on not a listing price or on a crazy one, you tend to agree with it. Do you really wanna make those mistakes? And so this is something to be really mindful of because guess what? 
Whatever haunts you at purchase will haunt you at sale. Whatever haunts you at purchase will haunt you at revaluation. And whatever haunts you at purchase will haunt you at rental campaigns. So just be mindful of that. But this is just one floor plans to that level. How about we go to the next one? So the next one I've got here is street appeal. Street appeal, bit subjective to some angle, but you can have all sorts of crazy materials, garages turned into, you know, a carports turned into fully enclosed garages or lounges turned into garages. The list goes on of what you may have in your street appeal. But the main thing here is that some are good, some are okay, some are horrible. The main thing is just finding the balance between what's subjective and what's going to really turn off many. And I think some people like property managers can be a great sounding board as one example. The next one is proximity to noise. So we have clearly seen days on market shifts, which is the time to sell a property and the listing price discounting when you're right next to a highway versus further out. Now, each city will have highways that are of impact or not of impact. And it's an interesting one. You've got to get really localized here. For example, if you're looking at the city of Brisbane and say there's a major highway going to the north side and you're the last house on there, I'm quite confident with three or four lanes each way that makes a difference. But other locations might have a highway based on Google Maps with the yellow, uh, yellow roads versus the white. And you might think that's a freeway highway. Surely that's got to be impactful. But when you think about it and you speak to locals, it's one lane each way. That suburb's always had it. It's quite common. And so this is where you need to find a balance of data and the truth of locals. So local opinion, property managers, different sales agencies and agents can be great. Uh, but secondly, the data can show you days on market. If you're looking at core logic, you might look at the map view and you might go to sales and they show the red color for sold within the last six months. And then you can go purple and blue colors, all these different colors to show you different timelines of sales. And you're able to actually start to bring up addresses and go uh, over the last one year in the same market conditions, there were 15 houses sold in this pocket. Uh, 12 of them were all in this highway and then maybe the three of them weren't and the three and the 12 shared similar days on market to actually do a deal. And if that's the case, then that all of a sudden means that you're going to be okay because the market does not react to it differently. But if the sample sizes continue to show variances in price for the same properties or variances in time to sell, then you've clearly got some anomalies happening and you've got to either do one of two things. Factor that into your comparable analysis to ensure you don't overpay and go from good to great, or you just ignore the deal because it's too hard to factor it and you move on to the next. And so if you're a customer of ours listening to this, this can show you and tell you some of the reasons why it just takes longer for us to secure the right asset. Now, proximity noise, strange floor plan, street appeal. What about slope of the land? Slope of the land, land shapes, sizes, triangle, cul-de-sacs. None of these are actual complete fails unless they're horrible, but it's more about factoring it into comparable analysis. So I've got this thought in my mind. If something's about you know, 200 square meters larger and it's at an end of a cul-de-sac with that kind of diamond that starts to open up and gives you a solid backyard, I don't think of that as the same as another 800 square meter block on a rectangled block, not at the end of a cul-de-sac. I think of that about a 200 square meter variance. So I think I'd start comparing properties that are around 600 square meters and normal blocks and normal streets to something of 800 or 750 to 800 square meters with that diamond end of cul-de-sac type feel. This is important to realize that not all land is valued or treated equally by all buyers. The same with corner blocks, great blocks, but on the corner, you've got to realize that some of the things are chopped off and you've got to just factor that in and look at the ways that that corner is considered amongst other properties.
And so these are just some tips. Uh, you can go even deeper from things like being on a main road, being on a road with a roundabout on it, being on a road with a, lots of roundabouts on it and high speed signs and bus stops in front of you with speed bumps everywhere. The list goes on. In fact, I track over 20 points of due diligence on the detailed down on the ground micro perspective. And this will make your search take longer, but you will different. You will find the difference in good to great, and you'll be able to ensure that you're able to find properties that rental, resale, the right price, constant buyer heat and activity. If you're selling in the right market conditions, will always be there. I've learned both the easy way and the hard way. The easy way, just seeing the stats and going, huh, oh, it shows me the data, and the hard way from actually making the mistakes myself earlier on in the journey. And I'd like you to avoid them on your journey to go from good to great with property investing. This goes back to my original point. If it's an issue at the time of buying, it's going to be the issue at the time of selling. It's if it's an issue at the time of buying, it'll be an issue and be difficult at the time of renting. So when you're thinking about this, due diligence does not just disappear on you and never come back to haunt you again. It will haunt you in the future. If you enjoyed this episode and these tips are of value to you to help you go from good to great on the property journey and of course your portfolio, then give us a like and a subscribe on our YouTube channel. And if you're on the podcast, give us a rating. Five stars would love it. It would mean a lot to help our podcast reach many more to ensure that they don't make the mistakes that I've seen many make on their journey. Take their time to incorporate a data-driven approach combined with principles that are data-tested to make your property decision that much better. It's Arjun again, Head of Research and Founder of Investigate, Australia's Buyers Agency of the Year for 2023. Thank you again for tuning in.